Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. In a Mad World is the series that we've been doing. We've been doing it since the beginning of the year. I've absolutely loved it. We've been able to cover so many different topics and so many different uh, aspects of what it means to be the church, what it means to be on mission, what it means to be reaching out to a city, what it means to be in healthy relationships. As Paul, like a father, comes in and speaks to the church about their direction, helping them to stay on track, helping them to walk in the way that God has for them. And that is a path that just, it's fulfilling, it's satisfying, um, it, it, it involves the grace of God and the blessing of God and the favor of God on your life. And so often walking in this world as human beings, we go astray. We, you know, we take a different path and, and we end up in places we didn't intend to be. And this is kind of what happened to the church in Corinth. And, uh, and so Paul is directing them and he, he comes home at the end of 1 Corinthians, which is where we're at. We're in 1 Corinthians 15 today. Uh, we're going to be in this chapter maybe for one more week. Uh, we're talking about the resurrection. Paul comes home talking about the gospel. He brings it back to the essence of the gospel. He brings it back to the fact that it's, that it's all about what Jesus has done for us. We looked at this last week, how, how this gospel is the thing that we received. It's the thing in which we stand, and it's the thing by which we're being saved. It's the whole picture. The moment you understand what Jesus did on the cross, it takes care of your past, your present, and your future. It works out every part of your life, finds Jesus at the center. And so sometimes people say, we're going to put Jesus first. And I agree with that. We should put Jesus first as far as our priorities go. But more than that, we should put Jesus in the center. We put him in the middle of our work, our career, our families, our, our, our serving, our everything that we do, our everyday life. We put Jesus at the center. He's the heartbeat of the lives that we live. And if we do that, if we allow, if we bring Jesus into the scene and, and, and we, we allow his presence to be a part of everything that we do, we then not just, we, we tr are transformed from, not just from, or from Christians that don't just go to church on Sundays and, you know, listen to a message and, okay, I put Jesus first in my week and now I go about the rest of my week in my own strength. We go from that to people who, who actually walk with God, a daily walk, uh, you know, an everyday journey that you're taking with Jesus. And this means that, that everything that we do is now saturated with purpose. It's filled with meaning. It leads us into eternal purposes, the eternal purposes of God. And, and as a result, we're walking not in our own strength, but in the strength that comes from God. It's a joyful life. It's way more fun. It's way more fulfilling. It's way more satisfying than mere chasing after the wind. And so I want to share a message with you today, following on from what I shared last week called Not in Vain. I'm sharing this message called Not in Vain. So believe it or not, until quite recently, my wife had never seen the movie Forrest Gump, right? It's just like one of those Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump. You know, there's a couple that you can mention. It's like everybody in the world should have seen it by this point, unless you're like two, and it wouldn't be an appropriate movie for you to watch, right? Everybody has probably seen this movie. And, and she, when she told me, I was completely shocked. It's like, how could you not have seen Forrest Gump? How do you even understand you know, cultural references like run, Forrest, run, or, you know, life is like a box of chocolates, or, you know, stupid is as stupid does. Like, how do you operate in this world without this knowledge? 
And so I was like, no, we have to rectify this. We're going we're gonna to rent it, and, uh, and we're going to watch it, and you're going you, you're gonna to see what it's all about. Um, and, so, and so we did, and we watched it. And, and as I was going through 1 Corinthians 15, today's scripture specifically reminded me of one of the scenes from Forrest Gump. Uh, you know, he, he turns out to, you know, be this kind of simple-looking man, um, however, everything he tries, he's pretty amazing at. That's kind of the idea, you know. So when he runs, he's brilliant at running. When he plays table tennis, he's brilliant at table tennis. And when he's in, in war uh, in Vietnam, he's amazing at that. And, you know, he starts a business, and that's successful. And, and, um, and so it's kind of a fun movie to watch. And at one point, you know, he's going through some stuff, and he decides he's just going to start running, just with no purpose, really. He's just going to run. And so he starts running. He doesn't really prepare for this run, but he starts running. And he ran until he kind of like hit the ocean. And then he turned around and ran again until he hit another ocean. And then he turns around and he's running again. He's just, there's just really no purpose to this running. He's just kind of running, right? And at one point, as you can see here behind me, he, he's like running through the, through the desert now, probably somewhere in, maybe you can help me out, um, Ruth, maybe Utah or somewhere. Um, and he's just running through the desert. And you know what's amazing about it is that when people see someone running, even if they don't know why that person is running, they're like, at least he's doing something. And so as you can see, there's like a whole crowd. You know, some people just follow people just because they don't know what else to do. What's the why here? Why are we doing this? Why are we running? What, what, what is the vision? No, we don't know, but at least we're running. At least we're doing something. Isn't that such a great analogy for what people do in this life? Hey, that guy's on his way somewhere. Let's follow him. Where's he going? We don't know. Let's just follow. Let's just go. At least there's some movement. And so he's running through the desert, and he's in Utah, and he's got this whole little crowd uh, of people that had nothing else going on in life, and so they decided to follow him, and they're faithfully following him through the desert, and at one point, he just stops, and he hasn't said anything all this time that he's been running, and, and the guy in the front there says, everybody quiet, everybody quiet. He's about to say something, waiting for this profound vision, this profound reason, the why, this man that has this courage and this commitment to run across the country. He's going to talk, talk now. He's going to say something about why he's doing it. And instead, Forrest Gump says, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. And he turns around and he walks through that crowd and they're all like standing there in disbelief. Like, how could this guy, you know, he's led us all the way here. And now he turns around and says, he's tired and he's just going home. And after he's kind of walked through the group, the guy in the front goes, what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> like, we're in the desert. You led us here, and we don't have no clue why we're actually here. And this is how I believe a lot of people actually live life. It, it's what life looks like when you don't have Christ in your life, when you don't have the purposes of heaven and the, and the calling of God resonating in your ears, when you don't know the fact that God had appointed you and set you apart and, and gave you away towards the nations, to the nations for a purpose. When you don't know that, you end up just running after whoever looks like they've got some sort of motivation in life. And, and you know, you end up spending your life running after things that amount to nothing. People spend their lives, and I would say the majority of people in this world, spend their lives running after things that take them nowhere, running after comfort, running after wealth, running after some form of, of fulfillment. And then all of a sudden, they get to the middle of the desert, and the thing that they were chasing kind of just stops. And they kind of wonder to themselves, how did I get here? And what am I supposed to do now? 
I thought this was going to fulfill me. I thought this was going to be my ticket. I thought this was going to be the thing that was going to give me what I needed to feel satisfied with my life. And now I've reached this point and I still feel empty. It was chasing after the wind. It leaves us stranded in the desert. Many people, and to me, this is one of the saddest things um, that we encounter in our world. And sadly, we encounter it daily when people spend their entire lives sacrificing their families, using their energy, using their time, running after things that at the end of the day amount to nothing. How sad to waste a life, to get to the end of your life and go, I've really achieved nothing. It, 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 it's, it's something that in my heart, I understand how connecting to God's church and his vision allows you, like through our growth track, for example, to connect with opportunities for you to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to see lives change, to, to lead people towards Jesus, to serve in the kingdom of God, to do things that have eternal value. And, and we set that up and then people go, sorry, I, I can't do that anymore now because I'm studying. Or I can't do that anymore now because you know, I've, got, I've got work on Sundays. Or, you know, and, and just give up the opportunity to be a part of something. And what happens if you spend your whole life doing that? You come to your end of your life and you say, what have I actually built? Right? And, and that's something that, that is, is so sad. It leaves us stranded in the desert saying, what am I supposed to do now? And, and as a pastor, I've constantly encountered people that have been derailed from running in the purposes of God for their lives. You know, they, they, they were running well, and then CrossFit came along. Now CrossFit happens on, on Sundays or, or, or work got in the way and they're no longer able to make it to community group or, or there was a boyfriend or a girlfriend that came into the fray and now, and now my priorities look a little bit different. That's why we need to know what the values are that we hold because a value is something that you will hold to through thick and thin. A value is something that says, this is what we do. I, I, I'll tell you a little secret here. I'm gonna be totally vulnerable as a pastor. There are some Sundays that I wake up and I don't feel like coming to church. Not many, you can ask my wife, not many, but there are some Sundays, believe it or not. And in those moments when I don't feel like coming to church, when I don't feel like being here or, or working on a Sunday or whatever it may be, you know, it's the values where I go, but that's my home, that's my place, that's my calling, that's my vision, that's what we do. I tell my boys, oh, Dad, we don't want to go. We, on church, we go to church on Sundays because that's who, what we're about. This is what we do. And it takes me about 3.5 seconds, and you can come and confirm with my wife after the service whether this is true. And I shake those cobwebs out, and I'm like, let's go. It's game time. God's going to do something amazing. God's going to do some miracles. God's going to touch some lives. Somebody might receive Jesus today. Somebody might receive healing today. Somebody might be restored today. That's what we're all about. These are the values that we've decided on as a family. Let's get at it. Let's do it. And, we, and, and, and that brings that commitment and that faithfulness to, to uh, base our lives on what we value. And so uh, Paul puts it like this in Galatians 5 verse 7, talking about running. He says, you were running so well in the purposes of God for your life. What, who has hindered you from following the truth? You were running according to God's grace. He's talking about grace in that chapter. And he's talking about how, how we were running in the grace of God. And then somebody came and told you it's about something else and it's about something this, and you've got to do that. And you've got to remember this and, and you got derailed. And I realized that the enemy's plan is not necessarily to stop us from running, but simply to offer us alternative routes. 
He's going to, oh, it's fine. You're, you're moving. You've got passion. You're, you're moving forward. But I'm going to offer you an alternative route. I'm going to derail you from the path. You were running so well. I'm going to give you a different route to go to. And it's, and it's a path that will ultimately lead you into that place of desolation, like the guys, you know, running after Forrest Gump. Um, at one point, King Solomon actually decided, if you read the Old Testament, King Solomon, uh, who was incredibly wealthy and, he, you know, obviously, um, you know, king, king of Israel and his, da- his, his father was, was David and he was part of building the temple. Um, and, and at one point he decides, you know what, I'm just going to try every path, right? Imagine coming to this place in your life where you're like, I've heard about God and I know about the kingdom, but I'm literally now going to try everything to see if there's fulfillment in any of it. I'm going to do it all. Um, and, and he actually documents his journey in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to just read this section, Ecclesiastes 2, uh, verse 1 to 8 and verse 11. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. And so there is still a little bit of conflict there, at least some tension. And how to hold lay, sorry, how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. There's a sense of futility here. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted them in all kinds of fruit, in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So literally, I mean, how many of you have planted your own forest? And just like, hey, I'm going to get my own singers, just like my own band at home. And I'm just going to do whatever I can, you know, all the treasures I can find in this world to see if there's something worth it. In verse 11, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, all the hard work it took to do all these things. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, if people just read the Bible, they would really save themselves some trouble. You know, those guys chasing, you know, the next luxury vehicle or chasing the next, you know, big investment or chasing the next relationship or chasing the next thing that they feel is going. Like, just read what Solomon's done it for you. You don't, need, you don't need to go and try all these things. He's already tried it. And he turned out that it doesn't benefit. It fades away. It, it, it might have some glory, but it is a fading glory. The only thing that has an everlasting glory is the gospel the love of God, how that changes us and, and, and holds us. It holds our fascination. We can't ever grow tired of what Jesus has done for us. It speaks to our identity and, our, and who we are in Christ and, and, and our value, our significance, our worth. It fulfills us unlike anything else that you can experience in this life. Imagine how much trouble people could save themselves if they just knew this, if they just read the Bible instead of standing there going, what are we supposed to do now? So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is reminding the church about all of this. He's telling them about 
the power of the gospel, where the power of the gospel lies. And he's telling that it's not in human wisdom. It's not in all the things you can figure out. It's not in religious endeavor, but it is in the simple gospel. We read this verse last week, but in verses three to four, he says, so I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is it. This is the whole message. This is everything that will fulfill you, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, according to God's plan, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's it. The simple fact that God loved you so much that he sent his son, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for you. Number one, that speaks of your value. That speaks about how God sees you. That speaks about what God has for you, his commitment. Later on in the Bible, it tells us that if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how would he not now with him give us all things? If God didn't withhold his own son, why do you think he will withhold good things from you now? And so he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. Jesus died on the cross and, and worked the work of salvation for each of us, was buried and overcame death. And as Paul goes into the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, he starts speaking about the power of the resurrection. And today I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that are not in vain as a result of the resurrection. And next week I'll talk about resurrection itself. I'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but also your resurrection. Your resurrection spiritually today, but also your ultimate resurrection. What the Bible says will happen when we die and when Christ returns. The new bodies that we will receive, how we will be instantly changed in, in the blink of an eye, we will be transformed into our glorified selves and, and what that looks like. And so we'll cover that next week. But for the little bit of time we have left today, I want to talk about this, this new life that we receive. You see, when Christ was raised, we were raised with him. We receive a new life, not just an old life that's slightly adapted or slightly changed. I'm the same person, but now I'm a Christian. So I'm a Christian person, but I'm still the old person. No, the Bible doesn't talk about us living changed lives. It talks about an exchanged life. It says that we were crucified with Christ on the cross. That you were, when he hung there, you were hanging there too. Your old life was there. And if anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away. The new has come. And so it's not your old life trying very hard to be a bit better. It's a brand new life. It's an exchanged life. You're a brand new person, a new creation in Christ. And the Bible says there in that chapter, 1 Corinthians, where it talks about how, or 2 Corinthians, it says how we should, we should not consider ourselves according to the flesh any longer. We should see ourselves and everyone else according to who we now are in Christ. And so in Colossians 3 verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, his resurrection is our resurrection to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead. Keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We live a new life. We seek new things. We are seated with Christ in heaven. We have been raised to life with him. And so this is the life that we now get to live. And that means, uh, as Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me and lives through me. I think some of us are so overwhelmed and so concerned by, with trying to live for God 
that we forget to allow God to live through us. Forget yourself. Forget yourself. Just let God work through you. Stop trying to analyze and interpret and figure out where you're at. Just, just let God work through you. Trust in what God has for you and allow him to move through you in your daily life. This means that we are liberated from running in the desert. This means that we're liberated from circling in desolate places. That's what God liberated Israel from as a very clear example to us of the life that he has for us. They found themselves wandering the desert. They found themselves unable to apply faith. It tells us this in Hebrews 4, that the reason why they couldn't enter into the promised land is because they didn't mix their hearing with faith. They didn't believe in what God's grace did for them. It says the same gospel that is preached to us was preached to them also. What is that gospel? That God will save you, that he has a promised land for you. And if you walk with him, he'll lead you straight into it. They didn't really believe that they were the kind of people that could inherit the promised land. And so instead, they wandered the desert. No, in Christ, we have received the promised land. We walk straight into it. We don't have to wander uh, pointlessly, running after some, some things in this world. So because Christ is, is risen, we have direction. We have purpose. We have meaning. There's a call on our lives. And all of it matters in eternity. It all matters. Every day that we live matters. It's an opportunity for us to be able to make a difference, to walk with God, to hear his voice, to follow after him as he leads us. But in the church of Corinth, there were those that had gone so astray that they even started questioning whether or not the resurrection was something that would happen, whether there was a resurrection, and specifically whether or not Christ had actually been raised from the dead. Now, Paul puts this in no uncertain terms. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then everything we're doing is in vain. Then none of it matters because it's only through his resurrection that we receive the power to live changed lives. Amen? It's only through Jesus. And so Paul is going to talk about the resurrection and he's going to explain some things. He wants them to know this. So 1 Corinthians 15, 12 he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If, 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 we are, if the gospel involves Jesus being raised from the dead, how can we say there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Literally right now, I'm wasting my breath. If Jesus isn't alive today, this is all a massive exercise in futility this morning. And your faith is in vain. Whatever you believe would be in vain if Jesus wasn't alive. We're even found to be misrepresenting God. So it goes even a little bit further. It's not just are we wasting our breath and wasting our time and, 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 and wasting our faith and our energy. No, we're actually lying. We're, we're actually worse than that. We're liars. If Jesus isn't raised, then everything we're doing here is misrepresenting God because we've testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And hear this, you're still in your sins. Right? But sometimes we don't value what Jesus has done for us enough. Can you imagine if right now, you know, it came about that we find out Jesus 
wasn't raised, and we're all like, oh, wow. Okay, all that stuff I thought I was free from. Actually, there is no hope. Actually, you're just going to face the judgment for your sins. That's what it is. Just let that sink in for a minute. It, it, it helps us to appreciate what we actually have. Because if Christ isn't raised, then you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, the believers who had died, have perished. They're gone. There's no, oh, I'll see them in heaven one day or we'll be reunited. No, no, if Christ isn't raised, then every dead person who is ever dead is gone. They've perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if we're saying our hope is in the future, is in Christ, uh, is, in, is in what he can do for us only, and it turns out that there's no resurrection, then it means that we are the most <laughs> sad people on planet earth. We're the saddest bunch that you would find, the people to be most pitied. Here's the thing though. Christ is risen. He was resurrected from that grave. He is alive today, seated at the right hand of God. He is speaking, he is moving, he is changing, he is saving. And so our faith, our hope, our future is secure. It's certain. It's dependable. It's bankable. We're not that guy going, what am I supposed to do now? Let's be honest, that would have been us if there was no resurrection. But because Christ is risen, we are not in vain. And what we do is not in vain. Paul confirms the resurrection of Christ as historical fact. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. At the time that Paul wrote this, he's like, there's, there's about 500 people that have seen the resurrected Jesus. If you're unsure, go and ask. He goes, most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's like, we're not guessing about the fact that Jesus was raised. Hundreds of people actually saw him physically alive. He spoke to them in various occasions. He taught and he, he did miracles and, and, and we saw him ascended into heaven. We were there when he gave us the great commission, when he directed us, when he told us to wait for the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. We encountered him. And Paul goes, and I was one that kind of missed that boat just, just, but then he, he showed himself, revealed himself to me on the road to Damascus. I encountered him personally. And so there is a resurrected Jesus. And I think the important thing here is, is that all of us, if we're going to have faith in the resurrection, must also encounter Jesus personally. We are called to be witnesses. A witness is someone who has seen. How can you witness of something you've never seen? And so we need to encounter Jesus. Through faith, you can encounter him. He's saying, well, where do I go to do that? Right here. Right here, you put your faith in the resurrected Jesus. You communicate with him. You speak to him. You surrender to him. And God reveals himself to you. And once that has happened, we begin to understand the power of the resurrection. Now we begin to walk in that resurrection. We begin to, to act according to that resurrection. We begin to see ourselves. We view ourselves according to the resurrected Jesus. And so we are the ones who have seen Jesus. We know he's resurrected. And so now we're going to reverse 
All of these things that Paul says would be in vain if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. If Jesus is alive and we know that he, he is, then number one, instead of us being in our sins, we are forgiven. You are forgiven today. Because Jesus was raised, guess what? You're forgiven. This is good news to all of us. Come on, we all need God's grace. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all messed up in various ways. But the resurrection validates our justification. It secures us in that knowledge. We are saved by the grace of God. We are forgiven. We are washed. We are the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. We can trust in that fact today. Why? Because Jesus was raised. Because Jesus is no longer in the grave. And the foundation of every other blessing in our lives from God stems from the fact that he does not hold our sins against us. If God was punishing us from our sins, imagine where we would be. But instead, he punished Jesus. The judgment fell on Jesus. So now we can receive every promise of God without having to second guess it, without having to wonder whether or not we're worthy of it, because we know we're not worthy of it in our own selves, but through Christ, we've been made worthy. So you're not to condemn yourself. If anyone is in Christ, there is now therefore no more condemnation. Yes, sometimes we feel conviction. Yes, sometimes we know that we are not yet living the way God has called us to live, but we never feel condemned. God loves us and we are his children. We are forgiven. And so we are not in our sins anymore. If Jesus is alive, then number two, instead of our faith being in vain, our faith is actually the most dependable thing on earth. It is trustworthy. Our faith is trustworthy. The one we're believing in is worthy of our trust. That's what I love about Christianity. That's what I love about the scriptures. It's not a system. It's not a religion. It's not a, it's not a program. No, it's a person. Our faith is in that person. Not even in our own selves or our own abilities, but that person. And Jesus has proven how faithful he is because he said in a prophetic moment that, that, that even if you tore the temple down, three days later, he would rebuild it. And he was talking about him, his own self. The Bible tells us that. He was just talking about his own life. If you put me to death, and he knew that they would, you'll see the faithfulness of God in that three days later, I'll get up from the grave. Death cannot hold me. And Jesus did it, which means he is faithful. He is alive to be trusted. When you pray, it's not just going to the roof or to the sky or to, no, it's actually being heard by Jesus. It's being heard by the Father. And so Jesus never lets us down. He is steadfast and faithful and your trust in him will always avail much. If Jesus is alive, instead of our preaching being in vain, our message is true. What we share here is the most valuable thing we could possibly do with our time, not just here on a Sunday, but in every community group and in every conversation. Yesterday, um, I upgraded my boys' bunk beds by buying a secondhand bunk bed that was a little bit better than the one that I had at home um, uh, via OLX. And this is not sponsored by OLX. It could have been any other platform. But I spent time off, you know, the three hours I, I was in the house dismantling said bunk bed, um, starting to witness to the guy and eventually invited him to church, eventually sent him the directions to anchor and, and just extended an invitation because we have a message and the message is true. It's not about enlisting people for a religion. It's not about getting people to adopt some system. No, it's about allowing people to connect 
with a God who loves them. We have a message. That message is true. It's the most important thing to share, and we should share it. We should, we, we're not liars or false witnesses. We're not misrepresenting Christ. We're testifying to the resurrected Christ that we've encountered. And so our preaching is full. It's meaningful. It's valid. It's valuable. And it is significant. Amen? And we should do it a little more. We should do it a little more. We should share this gospel with those around us. Number four, instead of being people to be most pitied, we are people to be most envied. Isn't it amazing how, how everybody from, you know, unbelievers to people in the world, to the media, to even Christians themselves, kind of see believers or Christians as, oh, shame those Christians, right? Have you kind of encountered that attitude? Oh, shame, he's a Christian. Oh, shame, he goes to church. He thinks it's still all about that, you know? They kind of have this, like, that they are people to be pitied. They're caught up in this, in this thing they think they need in their lives. I, 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 nothing could be further from the truth than that. And, and it even, it's another one of my pet peeves when, when there are Christians that put down other Christians or that speak poorly of Christianity in general. This, this week I encountered somebody who has been a believer for many years and, and has actually, is actually uh, a leader in some sorts and has been a part of churches, but obviously got some hurt along the way and takes every opportunity on social media to give a dig at pastors, to give a dig at those who lead in the church. I'd love for that person to have a go at it. One month, let's chat again about what, what it takes to give yourself full time to something that often people are so unwilling to engage with. The fact of the matter is every single pastor, and I'm not saying this about myself today, but every single pastor needs encouragement, needs your prayers. The people around you that are trying to follow Jesus, they need encouragement. They need your prayers. They need your support. Let's be kind to one another. Let's value what we are. We are not people to be pitied. We are people to be envied. We know the truth. We're running in it. We're fulfilled. We're satisfied. We're forgiven. We're free. We're holy. We're happy. We know truth. I think sometimes people pretend to pity us because it's actually coming from a place of envy. So we, we live lives of meaning and purpose, joy and hope. And so we are people to be most envied. Finally, number five. If Christ is raised from the dead, and we know that he is, instead of believing that the dead have perished and are gone, we know that they are very much alive. They're very much alive. They're, they're more alive now than we are today being here. They're in the presence of God, in their glorified bodies, experiencing the freedom of, of eternity, the freedom of Christ, the freedom of, of, of being in a place where there is no sin, where there, where there is no sorrow, where there are no tears, where we don't suffer the, the pains of this world, but we're liberated and walking alive with Christ. We're worshiping, we're encountering, we're, we're seeing our, our loved ones. I was...